Good morning. It is uh, wonderful to be together this morning, as has already been mentioned. It's great to see so many out on a, on a cold, wintry day, but it's just, it's wonderful to be together here as the body of Christ, and I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to get into the word that the, the Lord has today for us as we continue in this series in, in Revelation here. Um, I just want to begin with this, ask, ask a question here. Um, how many of us here have been through like a job evaluation of some kind? Where you've had to like sit through, you guys, I'm sure many of us have had to do that, where you have to sit down with your employer, and, and I've been through that myself as an employee, but also as an employer. Um, and I remember back when I was in the retail world, it would come the time where we need to do evaluations, and we sit down, and some were like, I'll be talking, I was an assistant manager, and talking with our manager before the meeting, before the person arrived, and said, oh, this one, this one will be easy, this guy's been doing great, it's fantastic, we'll just, you know, say a couple improvements, but this will be good, and then there was some where, I remember one time, my manager was like, should we just, like, just let this guy go, because this evaluation is not going to be good, right? And so, going through those times of evaluation when you're working for someone, Sometimes can be nerve-wracking and sometimes can be, be good and bad. But I was thinking about that as we we're approaching these letters that are going out. And as, as Pastor Josh preached last week, this idea of, of reviews that he gave us as his opening uh, illustration. But this is kind of like the Lord kind of having an evaluation of the church. Sitting down and saying, this is, what you're, this is what you're doing good and these are the things you need to work on. And last week we were in Ephesus and saying that you're doing all these good things, your, your theology's right and, and you're doing all this good stuff, but you've lost your focus on me and your love. You've lost your first love. And now we're going to come to a church today where if you think about an evaluation, sitting down with them and it's nothing but good. And I don't know, like I said, if you've been through an evaluation where it was that, usually there's some sort of improvement or something in there you need to work on. But in this passage today, for this church, he's saying that you guys are doing well. But we want to get into what was happening in the city, in this place, uh, to see kind of what, what they were facing and what was going on and give you a picture of that. So why don't you stand with me, and we'll continue on here in Revelation 2. And we're in verses 8 to 11 today. It's the word of the Lord. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, The devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So we've been calling this series, Don't Stop Believing, Letters to the Seven Churches. And I, and I love the image that we have up here once again of a church, looks like it's broken stained glass, looking out into this world. And I think this image captures well this church that we are in today. 
as Pastor Josh already mentioned, a few things about them. But I, w- I want to talk about this, this city and this place. Because to fully understand what was happening and why this letter doesn't have any rebuke, we need to look at what's going on in this place in this particular time. So just to look at the map here, I mean, first of all, location-wise, Smyrna was not too far from Ephesus whatsoever. It's about probably 40 to 60 miles or so around that. Um, and, and so it was a beautiful, beautiful place. It was a place that was known for having all sorts of beautiful things going on. It was known as the crown of Asia Minor. It had all sorts of, of trails and beautiful places. And it was just known as, as this place of, of beauty. And it was also a city that was very proud they held athletic games here, and we'll get further into how that kind of ties into some stuff happening in this passage. But they were very, very proud of many things. And Ephesus, as we were talking last week, is no more. You go to Ephesus, it's just ruins. There's nothing there anymore. But actually, for Smyrna, there is a place still. It's a different name now. It's called Izmir. Doesn't it look beautiful? I know thinking outside today, I would uh, not mind being in Izmir there. But it, it looks, it's just absolutely gorgeous. It's a major city in Turkey now, right? Smyrna lives. There's still Christians there. There's about 250 churches of all kinds now that are there. And Christians are still persecuted by Muslims there. And so this place, even though it was very beautiful and all these, these things, you know, the way it looked... It had many things going on there which were evil. It was the center, the first place where they began to actually worship Caesar. Worship as in call him God. It was the center of that. He, is, he was called Lord there. You had to call Caesar God and Lord. And this is where the center of that began. It was a center, there was a mountain just kind of right near, um, right near the city called Pagos, where they had all temples to all sorts of pagan gods. You name them, they worshipped. And so this is where this small little church was. We don't know when this church actually began. Some say maybe it was in the time that John was in Ephesus in his three years there. We don't know when it began, but we know that it was there in the middle of all this, and this is what we need to take a picture of, in the middle of all the the worship of Caesar and Rome. Rome was called the goddess. Caesar was called God. This This is what was happening there. And in the middle of all this pagan worship that was taking place, this church was in the middle of it all. And we'll get to some other things that, that were happening there as well here in a little bit. I just kept this slide actually last week from Pastor Josh had this slide up and says, I know. And as we look at this passage here, as Jesus is speaking the words here, he says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. I just want to read a short little excerpt here from this commentary I found. It says, imagine yourself sitting among the gathering of God's people in Smyrna on a cold morning before sunrise, a small lamp-lit room 
houses the remnant of beaten and beleaguered church members. Let's picture the scene with you. The once lively crowd of Christians now displays obvious gaps where men and women once sat. Some may have fallen away under the persecution. Others are simply gone, arrested, exiled, or executed. Some of you risked your lives just to meet this morning to pray, to sing hymns to God, and to read from Holy Scripture. All of you are outcasts, desperate for a word of encouragement from the messenger sitting in your midst. In the dim light, the pastor enrolls a scroll and begins to read with a calm, quiet confidence. Whispering and shuffling in the room ceases when you hear from whom the message comes, the risen Lord himself. The entire group seems to hold its breath when Christ begins his commendation. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. Just picture that scene. I really like that description there. They were poor. When you look up the actual meaning of this, that doesn't mean that they had a little bit and, and so they were just a little bit poor. They, they were destitute. These people had absolutely nothing. No resources. And yet still they worshipped. Yet still they gathered together. It didn't matter about what they had, worldly possessions or riches. They gathered. And in the scene we just, that I just read to you, maybe in a house, maybe they met in an alleyway. I don't know where they met, but I know that they had nothing. And as they looked around and they saw these temples and they saw the riches of the places, the, the place where they were in, can you imagine how they felt? Being scared to even gather to worship. It once again makes me so thankful for us gathered here today. We are so rich in many ways. And we're so blessed to be able to come together and meet here. And we always, always need to remember that. So they were poor. And Jesus says, I know. I've seen you meet in the shadows. I've seen how you have nothing. And I know. I know what you're facing. And this would have been an encouragement to them that this is the words of Jesus to us. We've been, we've been meeting here with nothing, trying to just, just try to keep going, keep going, just to keep believing and have faith. And here Jesus is telling us his own words in this letter, I know. And then it says there were those who were Jews who were not, were a synagogue of Satan. This is really interesting because in this place of, of all these things, I was telling you, have already been, they're setting, there were Jews in this place. But they weren't really Jews. Jesus says right in this letter, as we just read, they were the synagogue of Satan. Some of these people have said they were Jews because there's persecution rising up. So they said, yeah, yeah, I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew now. I'm a Jew now. But what they were doing was blaspheming. And what that word blaspheming means against this little poor church, they were slandering them. And not only were they slandering them, they were connected to the officials, the Roman officials in Smyrna, and they would go to them and they would tell them what they were doing. And then they would come and they would arrest and they would, they would send them to exile. 
So these Jews, Jews, this is what they were also facing. They were poor. And they were facing this group that's, that Jesus calls the synagogue of Satan. They were not worshiping God. They didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. And therefore they didn't believe in God. So they were worshiping Satan. Just like all these other temples that were worshiping false gods. And these people were facing the slander, the hate, the accusation from this group. And that is what Jesus is talking about here. He sees that and calls it what it is. So there's lots going on here. And they were persecuted, verses 9 and 10. To the extent of extreme persecution. See, at this time, this was after the time of Nero, where Nero persecuted Christians very harshly, but then came along this guy. And this guy, his name is Domitian. From 81 to 96 AD. Domitian was the first emperor to have himself officially titled in Rome as God the Lord. He insisted other people hail his greatness acclamations like Lord of the earth, invincible, glory, holy, and thou alone. This emperor was pure evil. Some even look at the beast that's talked about later on in Revelation and say the beast is actually Domitian. Because he loved to just feed on the blood of Christians. He hated God. He hated Christians. Because he said, I am God. Worship me. And so a thing began in Smyrna that said, you actually have to come and burn incense. And when you do that, you say that Caesar is Lord, Domitian is God. Rome is the goddess. We worship Rome and the emperor And you'd burn incense and they would write a certificate for you saying you did that. And you would hold tight to that certificate. Do you know why? Because when they came, if they decided to come for you and say, show us your certificate of of sacrifice is what it was called, and you didn't have it, you were killed. You were tortured, but mostly killed. And so you can imagine this poor little church, they did not have certificates. Because they said, we do not... We will never call anyone else Lord God except the Most High. Except the King of Kings. He is our Lord. And so how many of them maybe got caught in the middle of the street at times, grabbed by a Roman guard and said, where's your certificate? Say Caesar is Lord. No. Then to the lions, or whatever terrible types of torture we all know the Romans had. Smyrna, as I was doing my studying on this, and this is why I love to get in the Word of God, I encourage you, obviously all of us, be in the Word of God, but also study it. Look into it. Don't just gloss over it as it sometimes is easy to do in our devotions. That's, we need to just be spending time in the Word. But what I mean is dig into it. It's not just us pastors who should be digging into the word. All of us here as the family of faith should be digging in the word. What do things mean? What's the historical context? 
so that we can have better understanding. And one thing that I learned is that Smyrna in the Greek actually means myrrh, which is very interesting. Some, some things come out of this. This is a picture of myrrh. I didn't have any myrrh at home, so I figured I would just uh, bring a picture here. Myrrh, as we know, the first thing I know guaranteed we think of with myrrh is that it was one of the gifts brought from the wise men of Jesus, right? The gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. And there was meaning to that. But what myrrh is, it's an ointment from a thorny tree. And in Smyrna, they would have had all sorts of the tree that myrrh came from. It's beautiful, like I said, these groves of trees, the smell of them. Myrrh's a beautiful fragrance. It was put in perfumes. It actually was offered in the first cup of wine when Jesus was on the cross. Myrrh would have been mixed in because it also had a sedative effect as well. Myrrh was also a picture of suffering and death. Because myrrh was used in the technique of embalming bodies. Because at that time they didn't have any, you know, the things that we have for burying a body. So to cover the smell up of dead bodies, they would cover it with myrrh. Jesus' body was covered with myrrh after he died. It's a picture of suffering. So this church is called myrrh. Myrrh had to be crushed. You see this picture up here to send forth its fragrance. To have the smell go out, the beautiful smell that it is, it had to be crushed. I love coffee. Who here loves coffee? I brought some coffee with me this morning. I actually could use a little bit right now. It's been a, it's been a long, long, tiring week. Um, yeah, so... Devin, you want to give me some, some coffee here, man? I'm just going to give you, just give you what you need here. Here's some coffee. Just go bring me back a cup. Sounds good. You'll be back? All right. <laughs> Devin's an actor, of course. So. That obviously won't work. Thank you. Try. De- Devin's going. Thank you, Devin. You can come back, Devin. That's fine. You can drop the beans. Right. So I, ha- I have the coffee beans right here. I want coffee. This is what I need. But what do I need to make this coffee? I'm sure those of us coffee people know you need this, which I just totally unplugged. This is a grinder for the beans. If I want to have that nice cup of joe on a cold day, then I need to do this. And it's not working for me. You need power. But I want us, honestly, I just want us to, to hear, I wanted just to hear the sound because the beans are in there right now. Hear that? Beautiful sound. I love that sound in the morning. But what that does is it grinds up the beans, obviously. And then you put the beans, and we at home use a French press. Anybody here use a French press? Right? And you pour it in there. Here's a picture of a French press, because I can bring ours. What you do is you, you then pour the beans in there, and then you pour hot water on that, and then you push, I don't know what the thing's called, but you push it down to have pressure. And then you have your cup of coffee. And so the reason why I'm sharing this idea is that we are sometimes like a coffee bean, and to get what we need, the purpose of that bean is not just to stay a bean, it's to make coffee, right? But it needs to go through this process of grinding up of being 
put into little smaller pieces, ground to dust, and then applying hot water, and then applying the pressure to put it all together, and then it can be put into cup. And us as Christians, this life is not easy. Whenever I speak at camps, I had a camp speaker in the past that gave me the feeling when I was younger that like, oh, when you become a Christian, like, it's a sweet road. And I remember sitting there like, really? It's not what I'm reading here. I mean, he didn't say it in those words, but he was given the idea of like, accept Jesus and you're accepting all good things. Yeah, but a lot of hard things. We're talking about youthquake, and I love this year. The theme is the narrow. The narrow road is the harder road to go down. But it's the road that we're called to be on. The church in Smyrna was definitely living on the narrow. So they were persecuted. They became a problem for the Roman Empire. But they had zeal. Which means excitement. They still, can you imagine in the middle of all this, the excitement as they gathered to hear this letter even read. They had zeal. They didn't abandon their first love, like Ephesus. They may not have had a lot of money or money at all. Death was a reality. But they had zeal. And so the Lord commends them. And the thing we, a lesson we need to see, because we need to remember that as we're going through these letters, they're not just for the ancient city in the, or the ancient church in Smyrna. It's not, it was written to them. It was written to them. John on the island of Patmos, the Lord giving him the revelation. It was written to them in that place, but it's written to all of us. As Pastor Josh has mentioned in our first two messages, this is for us. And so as I come to this passage, what does this mean for us? Because the first word that I would not use when it comes to thinking about care important CCC is persecuted. We know all across the world there are believers right at this very moment who are persecuted. It's not like persecution has faded away, even though the Roman Empire has faded away and these cities have. Persecution has not, because the word says, Jesus says, they hated me, therefore they will hate you. I always tell my, my kids, especially Elias, my oldest, he says, oh, I hate something. I'm like, no, 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 no. Hate is such a strong word. So maybe you dislike those peas, but, you know, but hate... But Jesus says, they hated me, and they will hate you. Even as, as Pastor Josh mentioned, there was a church in Regina that was vandalized, whether they wanted just to rob it or whatever, but right near us. But I don't think of persecution when I think of our church. But the fact is, this message is for our church still. Because I think I would be remiss, and we would be remiss as pastors, if we didn't talk about persecution. Because the fact is, the fact is, everybody, it could come. It could come. And we don't want to start thinking that all persecution happens way over in that country and way over in that country. The fact is, we don't know, persecution could come to our door. When you look at our world, 
and the way things are going and the way things change so fast. In different ways, we see things that are rising up when it comes to the LGBTQ things that are happening. When it comes to even the things facing the camps. It's going to be camp days here this week. Talk to some camp directors about some of the things they face when it comes to funding. When it comes to the things they're going to have to balance now. Camp ministry is such a powerful thing, but already some of these powers are rising up and making it more difficult. And it could come to this school, to our schools here. When we have to maybe turn away a certain person or thing or something like that because of the rock that we stand on, the word of God we stand on is on the wall out there. And then all of a sudden global news shows up and say, hey, what's going on out here? So we need to remember that even though right now nobody is dragging us out of this place, that persecution could become real. But they persevered. They kept going. And in our own life, when we go through struggles, maybe you feel like you're being ground up right now and you're going through pressure and pain, that this letter also reminds us that Jesus knows and he is with us. And he tells us to be faithful. Be faithful to me no matter what you're facing, whether it is financial issues or whether it's relationship issues or whether it's going through pain of loss. And this life is not easy. Like I said, if any pastor is standing up here any place you're at saying this life is easy, it's not. But we serve a God who's with us through all of it and has a purpose. And just like myrrh had to be ground up and crushed to get the scent out, the beautiful fragrance, sometimes we need to go through those things to have that fragrance of the gospel and the fragrance of testimony to God. But it's not fun. It's not easy. But God promises to be with us. He says, be faithful to them. Be faithful to him. The devil is the one who persecutes. He says, behold, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. You may be tested for 10 days. You will have tribulation. This 10 days was not, there's going to be 10 days, guys, that's going to come and there's going to be some persecution just for 10 days. That's not what this is saying. 10 days was an example of just a stage of time, whatever that may mean. It wasn't a literal 10 days. But there was going to be a season of persecution, a season where they're going to be imprisoned. So as they're sitting here listening to this letter, can you imagine when they started to hear that part? Some of you here are going to be imprisoned. You know, when it says, I discovered this as well in study, when it says, beginning of the letter, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, it's not talking about an angel. That's talking about the pastor. Did you know that? That's that's to the the angel, the pastor of that church in Smyrna. He's the one that would have come to like read it. He's the one that was giving leadership. And so to hear that as the pastor at that time would have been hearing this, reading those words, uh, guys, um, it's going to be some, you think it's tough now. <laughs> but the encouragement that comes, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Smyrna actually looked like, some people say actually looked like a crown. They loved the, uh, the picture and the thought of a crown. Like I said, they had athletic games, and they would give out crowns, laureate things. 
And so what he's saying is in this place they're in, they love to praise the crown, but they're praising the wrong one. Because at the end of all this, no matter what they do to you, whether they burn you, whether they tear your bodies apart, whether they nail you on crosses, you will have the crown of life. That is what we're promised, no matter what may come. When I was growing up, I, I loved fashion. You know, in the rap world, fashion's a big thing. But before I even was a rapper, I loved this brand. You guys remember No Fear? Any of you here? Or is this going to be me? Right? These, these No Fear shirts came out, I don't know what they were, like mid-90s, whatever it was. They were so cool. They were like the thing you had to have. Like, if you don't have a No Fear shirt, man, like, who are you? And I remember going to my mom and be like, I got to get a No Fear shirt. She's like, what is that? And these were shirts that, you know, had different logos on them. And that cool writing, no fear. And they had all sorts of phrases on the back that were like regarding sports or whatever. And all these different like really strong phrases. I remember my school actually banned them because some of them were just like too, too much. Like kids couldn't wear them. And I remember wearing no fear And these shirts were all about you. Like, I'm the best. And so I have no fear no matter what comes against me. And as I was reading through this passage, I flashed back to thinking about these no fear shirts. And I thought, well, what if, I were to, what if Smyrna had its own no fear shirt? What would it say? And this is what I came up with. We have nothing. We are hated. We face death. But, in capitals dot, dot, dot. We wear the crown of life. No fear. And that's what he's telling them is don't have fear even though these things come. Do not fear. See, fear is not from God. Fear is from the enemy. Persecution is from the enemy. We are called to stand strong, to be courageous. As Pastor Josh said to the kids this morning, we have a fortress we can run to. We have a rock on which we stand on. This world tries to fill us with fear. I know even for myself as a parent over these holidays, going on Facebook, pretty much you could call it fear book. Because I would see things about the flu and how kids are dying from the flu in this season. I'd see things about the political stuff going on in the States and I'd see stuff about North Korea still has nuclear bombs. Like, and it went on and on and on. And before I knew it, within seconds of scrolling on my feed... I was fed a lot of fear. And so I decided that I don't want to just look at this stuff anymore. I need to get to the word of God. You know, this past week has been difficult for us. Some of you know my wife has suffered an injury and some sickness and things that have been happening. And beginning to get paralyzed and fearful, like I said, once again, how many times I think I've told you as I've preached, the Lord preaches to you when you're going through a passage to preach to the body. And the Lord really just showed me, get in my word. And as I even just started reading this passage in the words, I felt healing. I felt power. I felt peace. If you are in a difficult time of pressure and pain, get in the word of God. I don't even, it doesn't even matter what you read as long as you're reading the word of God, whatever passage. This is power. This is active. This is the living word of God. Do not fear. And they were promised the crown of life. And at the end it says, 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And the final sentence here, the final verse, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So they're promised a lot of death and the things that are coming. But then at the end, Jesus says, wait, you won't be hurt by the second death. What's the second death? The second death is, is, is the eternal fires of hell. You won't be hurt by that. You might go through some pain. They might burn your body at the stake here. But you will have everlasting life with the crown on your head, with me in eternity. See, Jesus says at the beginning of this passage, and we've talked about each letter begins with something about Jesus, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Why does he say that? Because he's telling this church here, who's facing death, I faced death. I didn't just face the threats of death. I faced death. I tasted death and I shook it off. I've been there. I faced it. I'm victorious over it. And because I am, you are. So don't fear. I am the Lord your God. Not Caesar, not Domitian, not the Roman Empire. This is the kingdom of God and heaven. You will not be hurt. And we need to remember that as well, no matter what happens in our life. We have, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, we will not be hurt by the second death. Here's a quote from W.R. Maltby. Christ promises people three things, that they, would, that they would be in constant trouble, that they'd be completely fearless, and that they'd be absurdly happy. I found that really interesting. He promises us that we're going to face trouble. College chapels going through the book of James right now. And so is BCA. We will face it. And he'll be with us in all of it. And in the end, we'll be absurdly happy. This picture, I'm not sure if you know who this is. A, a few weeks ago, I was able to join the BCA uh, chapel in here because I lead a small group there, grade 12 guys. And uh, Jim Bell was talking about this guy, Polycarp. I really appreciated that Caleb decided to talk about martyrdom in chapels. And so who is Polycarp? So about 60 years after this letter would have come, Polycarp was the pastor in Smyrna. Polycarp was actually friends with John. Polycarp actually learned under John, sat at his feet and learned from him. This was the pastor of this small, lowly, poor church. And what an amazing story it is. And I don't know if you know it. We could do a whole sermon on Polycarp. But he stood up for Jesus all the way into death. There's all sorts of accounts of what happened. That he was being transported because he was arrested. They, they found him and he said, Okay, the Lord gave him a vision that you're going to die for me. And so they were transporting him. And, and somewhere along the line, he hurt his leg somehow and dislocated it apparently, but he still hobbled towards the place where they were going to kill him. And then he showed up there and they tied him up and they said, you just need to say Caesar's Lord. You need to just say to the atheists that Caesar's Lord. And what they meant by atheists were the Christians because they didn't believe in their God, so they were called atheists. So tell the atheists that Caesar's Lord. He's like, okay, sure. So he points to everyone there and says, God is Lord. And they said, no, no, that's not what we meant. <laughs> you need to say that he is God. 
You need to say that your God is not God. He says, I'm, I won't. I won't do that. And they said, do you know I have lions here right now? And I will throw you to them. And Polycarp's like, bring it. Where are they? Like, man, this dude was something else. Let me tell you that. And they said, okay, well, we're going to burn you. We're going to nail your hands to the stake. We're going to burn you. He's like, there's no need for nails. I'm not going anywhere. Burn me. Because what you say is that fire is going to burn my body. And it will for maybe an hour or two. But in eternity, I will, I will burn with the glory of God. And the judgment that's going to come down on you in the fiery flames, the second death, that's going to be the real fire. So you bring your little fire. And they did. And he didn't burn. There was almost like, the, the accounts go that there was almost like a bubble of fire around him. Like he was glowing. This is like some Meshach, Abend- what are their names? Meshach, I forget their names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stuff. Right? And they, he's not burning, he's not burning. And so this guy comes up to him in this picture with the sword and says, enough of this, and stabs him in the side. And there's other accounts of a dove came out and all sorts of crazy things. And finally, he did die. But we know that Polycarp is with the Lord. He stood to the very, very end. He stood in the face of death. And he's wearing a crown of life now. And that's some hardcore stuff. You know, I found, I found one of these No Fear shirts. The logo says, second place is the first loser. You know what? Like, <laughs> Jesus is saying here the words of the first and the last. These guys were the losers. They were the last. And Jesus is saying, you're actually the first. You know, I brought a shirt. Like I said, I used to, to wear those shirts. I brought a shirt. You probably see me wear around. And I saw it in my closet today. I want to bring it. Because I love wearing shirts that have a message here. And this is from the, the label I've told you about before called Humble Beast, if you can see this here. And I wear this because I love what it says. It says, anchor of my soul you sustain. And it has an anchor on it. And it's by the group Beautiful Eulogy. And it has, I don't know if you can see the top here, it has since, and it has the infinity logo. Alpha and Omega. He is the anchor of our soul in the hard times he withholds us. This is truly no fear. That's truly no fear. Yesterday I saw this image, and maybe you've seen it around. I added this just this morning because I felt like it was an image that I wanted to, to talk a bit about. And maybe you've seen it going around. And as you know that I'm an indigenous man, and so what was happening yesterday in Washington, I believe this was, was there was a march for life and there was a march for indigenous rights and this was an indigenous elder. He actually was a war veteran. It's been, it's, this is spreading everywhere just yesterday. And this is, I think, I believe, a 15 or 16-year-old Catholic school student wearing a Make America Great Again hat. And I saw the video of this. And what he's doing is he is drumming and he's singing a traditional song. And this guy's just standing in his face. And all the friends around him are mocking they're mocking indigenous singing. They're trying to overpower him. And that man stood face to face with that kid for minutes. Nobody touched anybody. 
There was this side of indigenous people and people started fighting around them. But these two guys just locked. This kid is 15 or 16 years old. Goes to a Catholic school, learns about God. And here he is mocking this man. And his buddies were mocking him. And why do I show this picture this morning? Because to me, I feel like the Lord showed me, this is a picture of us versus the world. That boys like the world. Man, this world hates us. And they'll stand in our face and around they will mock and they will attack and they will say that we are haters and that we don't love people and that we follow a false God and that we meet in places that should just be torn down. We need to stand firm like he did and keep beating our drum. Keep singing our songs. Keep praising our God in the face of the world because God has said he's overcome the world. He's overcome already. It's a done deal. Satan is defeated. This world is defeated. The kingdom of God is to come. And here's a picture of, like I said, the wreaths they would wear at their athletic games in the verse, be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you life as your victor's crown. They were oppressed. They were persecuted. They were poor. But they were victors. And so the message for us is we here need to stand firm. I thought this week, what if all of a sudden pastors started getting dragged out of churches in Regina and me and Pastor Josh and our staff, I mean, have you heard? Have you heard that the pastor of, uh, of, um, of Hillsdale Baptist got taken away? Have you heard? Are we going to have church this Sunday? I thought, what would I do? What would we do? Would we still meet? Would you still be here? Would you still be here if there was threats of death? If there was a Facebook post that said anybody who shows up at Edwards Chapel on 1030 Sunday is done, would you be here? That's a challenge for, for all of us here. And I would like to say, I hope we can say we would. Because no matter what comes, we need to remember of the King that is coming and the eternal life has to come for us. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that we have read your words to this church, this church that had faced so much, so much pain, so much death, seeing their family members and friends, fellow worshipers dying around them. But we can't, we can't imagine But Lord, you called them rich. Rich because of you. Rich because of the love, Lord. Rich because of all the things eternally beyond this world that were to come. Help us to remember that here, Father. Help us to be prepared that persecution could come at any time with just one change in a law or one Facebook post. This world can change. And you don't change. And help us to stand firm in the face of evil. The enemy hates us. He prowls around like a lion. But you are the lion of Judah. You are the one who is above all. And we worship you, Father, even unto death. In Jesus' name, amen.
Would you stand with us as we sing in response?